Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. We are in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we are going through the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, after we went through the Beatitudes, this really is connected at the hip. Everything that Jesus said in the Beatitudes in chapter 5 is laying a foundation for this entire what is called Sermon on the Mount. And starting in chapter 6, verse 9, we are going to move into this a little bit more. If you have a copy of the scripture on your phone or written, you can read along with me. Verse 9, it says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about delivery rooms, the skywalk in Arizona, three laws of motion, LeBron James, and a thumb stabilizer. Okay? Jesus has spoken about a superior righteous. Righteousness, one that superseded that of the Pharisees. He told us, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And now we are focused on how that works. What does that look like? His teachings have kind of been bringing that about. It involves a deepening of the inner life, an awareness of our hearts and the motives within our hearts and fusing this inner life with the outer actions so that they become congruent, that they become something that works together. A summary of Jesus' message could be Paul's statement in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord rather than for men. Be mindful of God in all the things that you do, in the conversations you have, in the way you act and treat people. In the first part of chapter 6, he gave us three negative examples of how not to practice this righteousness, a way that was to 
bring attention to ourselves, how not to give, how not to pray, how not to fast. And then he goes on and gives us illustrations of the superior way, how we should give, how we should pray, and how we should fast. And we want to adapt that directiveness that he gives us and help it to put into our in practice in our lives. And this, what's known as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, is actually helping us to, to get to the point of some of the things that are there. The depths of these words can't be underestimated. I mean, we can begin to understand them and that they can be prayed anytime and anywhere. Helmet Thielic says, it can be spoken at the cradle and the grave. It can rise from the altars of great cathedrals and from the dark hovels of those who eat their bread with tears. It can be prayed at weddings and on the gallows. And the fact is that it has been prayed in all of these places. This model that Christ gives us is so rich and is dealing with the heart of what needs to be addressed in each of us. It's important that we understand as we move forward in this model of prayer that we take it to heart and that we're not afraid to actually pray it. You know, when my kids call me on the phone, and I see it and I know, oh, my, my son or my daughter is calling me. And I pick up the phone and I hear them starting to talk to me. With their voice comes familiarity. With their voice comes history of memories, of thoughts. Now, they don't all like, oh, yes, it's my son. I remember the time I had this and this and this and I had to do this, this and this. That's not how it works. But I hear their voice and all those things are just a part of that conversation. It's immediately there. It's as if their voice carries with it all those memories and all those things. And so they speak to me and I can tell by the tone of their voice, things are good, things are bad. They're excited. Dad, I'm, we're having a baby, right? Or dad, I've got something to tell you. And I could tell immediately this is good or sometimes it was not so good, right? But automatically I carry with that voice all the memories of those things. And this prayer is a form of lifeline to God where we start to develop that communication with God, where we start to accumulate the memory of God's faithfulness, of how we've cried to the Lord, how the Lord has instructed us, how we've been directed, how he's been there for us, how he's helped us in our time of need, how that time of need carried on for a long time and we wondered where his voice was. All all these things become prayers. You see, it's not just a spoken word. It's the cry of the heart. Sometimes I think prayer comes out even in cursing where we just don't know what to do, what to say, and our voice is yelling and God's not offended. God hears through the languages that we might use what's really happening. Even as I said last time, it's not so much what we say, it's what God hears that matters. 
And what we're trying to do is develop our thoughts, our tears, our joys, our fears, are all words from our soul to God. And it is here and now an awareness of God. Here and now, God is with me. God is at work. I do not know how all the time, most of the time, 99.99% of the time, I'm not sure what God is doing. And that's being generous, right? I know, though, that he hears me. I know that he is present. I know that he is at work in my life. If on the other hand, I can just start to be aware of this, it might help when and how I pray. Have you ever tried to go to sleep when you're anxious and you're tense and then you just tell yourself, okay, just go to sleep, right? That works, right? Never, right? Okay, oh man, you got to get up in a few hours. You better go to sleep. And then you're just buzzing, right? Your, your, your mind is going. And so what you have to do, what I have to do is I have to start learning how to relax, you know, and I'll start with my eyebrows, you know, and I'll just like scrunch them and I'll just like bring tension and then relax it. And then I'll do it to my nose and then my neck. And then I, I know this looking funny now. And I just kind of start to go through my body where I tense it up and then I relax so that by the time I get to my feet and my toes, My body is starting to relax, and then my mind is starting to relax. And I'm not trying to fall asleep. Now I am trying to just put into practice relaxing. I'm not trying to talk to God. I'm just in communication with him so that it's taking place with me. And as it starts out, Jesus' word starts out, he starts off with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. First thing we should notice is the our father, that we have brothers and sisters, that God has other children, that this is collective, that it's not singular, that we have a family. And we need to always remember he is our father. God is hearing the voices of our family everywhere as well as ours. And it helps us to keep the right perspective, I think, as we move forward into prayer. The next thing we see is that he wants us to dress him as father. You know, in in the delivery room, it's a monumental event that takes place in our lives, having children. I, I remember all three of the births. We have four children, but there was three because of the twins. And and each one, there was something dynamic and special that happened to them. And and they were born. That's what happened to them. But there was something that happened to me, right? I, I was excited because now I have a son. Now I have a daughter. But you see, Not only did I have a son or a daughter, but they had a father where they realized it and they didn't or not. As much as I had a child, they had a father. And it's important that we recognize this, that we understand that 
from these words, our prayer is personal and intimate and that we are to own him, not as an object, but as I have a child and that child has a father. There is a commitment or there is supposed to be a commitment there that goes both ways where I am his and he is mine. Where he has me and I have him. I have a father and we share him with our brothers and sisters. He then tells us that is a father in heaven, which distinguishes him from all the other fathers. And it doesn't matter how great a father you had or how great a father you are. Heavenly father is much different. A heavenly father is much more patient. A heavenly father has a lot more wisdom. A heavenly father is able to do what the earthly father is limited and cannot do. And so he distinguishes us this way where we have a father in heaven. And he is a heavenly father. And again, this is to bring in a dynamic that is supposed to be intimate, supposed to be close. And then he says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is to make holy, right? To treat something as holy, to treat it with reverence. How do we show reverence for God's name? And why do we pray that it will be revered? And what does it mean? Right to to make holy. Does this mean that I can never, you know, use God's name in a way that's inappropriate, or I can't put OMG on my social medias because that's not being reverent, and and that's not what it means at all. You see, a, a name is a person's character. When we talk about the person's name at that time, it was more than just, oh, my name is Sam. It is the personhood. And so we'd have God changing Abram to Abraham or Jacob to Israel or even Saul to Paul. The whole idea is your character needs to change and the name needs to represent who you are. And so the name was more than just a word of identification to an individual. It was to identify the entire person. And so the idea here is to help you know that person. The name is one with the person's identity. In Psalm 54, verse 1, it says, Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. How does he save us by his name? Because of who he is. His name and who he is are the same. And so when we're revering God's name, we're revering his person, who he is. And showing that reverence, giving it the recognition. And so when we read the word name, let's think of the entirety of the person. Now, here's where... I always have this pet peeve that I still deal with and do. And someday I'm going to write a book called Magic Christianity, and it's not a favorable thing. 
there is this idea if we say in Jesus name, we've ended the prayer and that's what we're supposed to do. And the idea of in Jesus name is not the idea of, oh, we just said his name. And then some people get upset if you don't end a prayer in Jesus' name. It's like, oh, you're not praying in Jesus' name. But that's not what it means in Jesus' name. It's in the character of Christ. It's as if Christ was praying it. It is in the person and attitude of Christ. That's what it means. So it's not just in Jesus' name, abracadabra, boom, you get the prayer. And that's what I mean by this idea of magic, right? It's important that we understand that it has to do more than just the words. It has to do with the character. See, if someone comes up to me that I don't know and they say, hey, I was wondering if I could borrow your vacuum cleaner. I'd say, no. Um, <laughs> besides, I don't know where it is. Um, but if someone came up and said, hey, I'm a friend of your daughter's and she said, that I could borrow your vacuum cleaner. All of a sudden, it means something different. Why? Because it's connected to a person who I know. See, that would be saying in Lauren's name, can I borrow your vacuum cleaner? Right? And so when we say something in Jesus' name, we are connecting it to the character as if we were acting in behalf of Christ which should make us think about all the things we say and how we act and the words we pray. He says in John 17, Jesus, verse 6 and 26, he's told as he was praying, I have revealed your name to those who you gave me. What does that mean? I have revealed who you are. To those who you gave me, I have made your name known to them. I've made you known to them. So when we make his name holy, it is not the word God. It is the person and all that God is that we are moving to make holy. And so just as we've seen that our relationship with God is intimate, it's also to be reverent. And here's where it's hard to capture the idea of reverent. You know, so many places in scripture, we see the fear of the Lord. And immediately we start thinking the fear of the Lord, fear God. I I, I don't want to be afraid of God. I thought he was my heavenly father. I don't want to be afraid of my father, but that's, because our understanding of fear is limited. For Corrine and my 25th wedding anniversary, which was a while ago, um, we went to Arizona and we went and saw the Grand Canyon. We did this kind of tour there. And one of the things, part of the tour, we went on the skywalk where you get to walk on this glass bridge over the Grand Canyon, right, to look down. And the Grand Canyon is grand. That's why they named it that way, right? It's amazing. I forget how many miles deep it is and wide, and you just stand there, and it's just, like, mind-boggling. And then to go on this glass you know, bridge and stand there and to be able to look down, something happens to you, right? You get this little bubble in your stomach, you know, you have to go to the restroom afterwards. It's just kind of like, whoa, you get this eerie feeling. Now you're still out there, or at least we were, you know, they had the little 
booties on so it doesn't mark up the thing and you're walking out there and you're looking down and you're thinking, oh, wow, and you're standing on the edge and you're just hanging out over the canyon and you got the butterflies in your stomach and it's awesome and it's terrifying, but it's awesome. Take that and multiply it by the billions. Multiply that beyond your ability to comprehend and you're just tasting what it is to to revere and fear the Lord. There is an immense amount of respect that comes when you're standing on the edge of a grand canyon or a waterfall or something that is immense and beautiful as the waves crash and you feel the thud from the ocean and it just puts that feeling in you. Take that feeling and multiply it by the billions and you're just coming to taste what it is to fear the Lord and to revere his name and who he is. Because God, by definition, is that beyond which we can comprehend. We, we put words to try and identify who he is, but he is too vast. His ways are higher than our ways, beyond our finding out, and thank God for that. But the idea of revering his name is see him clearly. Understand who your father is and the fact that you can call him father will make you tremble. It'll put a chill down your spine that I can call the God who created everything my father. Make his name holy. Don't treat him just like a dad. He's much, much more And is there anything more important than when we are in communication with God to realize that we are his children and that he is beyond awesome? That's where we start. That's just where we start. He goes on and he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The way this is worded, it is interesting in the Greek because it's a little bit more connected in how it takes place. You know, there are times where things work together and you kind of need them to work together to have a better understanding. Newton's three laws of motion, right, were part of that, where the first law states that every object will remain in rest or in uniform motion unless compelled to change its state by the action of an external force. The second law is the velocity of an object changes when it is subjected to an external force. That force could be gravity, it could be another object, it could be a number of things, the wind. And then the third is for every action in nature, there is an equal and opposite reaction. This is how motion takes place. When we see something in motion, these laws are at work within this, the three laws. And the same thing with these things here, because the way it's actually worded in the Greek is much clearer. Each line begins with an introduction to the request, and each ends with a noun followed by a possessive pronoun. And so it would literally read, let be revered the name of you. Let come the kingdom of you. Let be done the will of you. And all these work together. 
You see, if you revere his name truly, then his will will be what you want to come. You'll, you'll want that kingdom to come. And if you do his will, the will of him be done, you'll be participating in his kingdom and you'll be revering his name. You see, they're all working together, but be revered the name of you. Come the kingdom of you. Be done the will of you. Where? In me. In me. I think Jesus wants us to see how these things work together. What I pray for the world, I pray first for myself. God, be revered. Your name. Come, your kingdom. In my life, your will be done. Because if it's going to show up in the world, it's got to first show up in me. It's like we're praying, create the future today in me. Allow your kingdom to begin in me and in my understanding of you. I understand the longing for this change, wanting to see this come, wanting the Messiah to show up. As we've been going through the book of Revelation, the whole book is about this kingdom establishing and coming. In Revelation eleven fifteen, it says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. I love that. The kingdom of the world has become. How did it become that? Through his people, revering his name, doing his will, and his kingdom has come. And we long for that. Any system where the strong oppresses the weak, where the wealthy exploit the poor, where the clever cheat the simple, a world where God's will unfolds in every human heart, where his love is present in every human interaction, this is the direction that our prayers take. And then he switches and he goes into, give us this day our daily bread. Now, we're shifting from a focus on God and his kingdom and will to us and our daily needs. A lot of people have compared the Ten Commandments in this prayer where the first are directed towards God and the last are directed towards the people. Here, the same thing is happening. We're, we're directing towards God and then we come to our daily needs. And daily bread was a daily need. You would work and get your day's Wage, and that was usually enough to buy the food that you needed and just to make it for that day to day. We might live paycheck to paycheck. They lived day to day, right? An understanding. But it's important to realize that God is not just concerned with the big picture kingdom things. He's concerned with the small daily things. He's concerned with what's happening in our lives day to day. Now, I don't know if you guys are following basketball or not, but LeBron James has become a Laker, right? And I, you know, I wasn't a crazy LeBron James fan just because, I don't know, I didn't know him. He always played and he always was good and he played for the other team. And I felt like, well, he keeps changing teams. The guy's just, you know, in it for the money or whatever. He's only played two games. But in the two games that he's played, I really like him now. 
I mean, he helped to stop the brawl that took place last night, right? If you guys saw that. He also was uh, very much trying to involve the other players. He was really taking on a mentor and leadership role. And he was wearing a Dodger hat at his press interview. What's not to like, right? He's won my heart. I mean, yes, I always like you. King James, you're my man. You see, here is a, a player who is a superstar. But he understands if he doesn't get the rest of his team to play, they're going nowhere. Right? And they're having some, some issues right now that he's there to help work out. God sees a big picture, but he cares about the small things, the daily things that are taking place in our life. And let's face it, 90% or more of the thoughts that happen in our lives are over trivial things. Right? What, what am I going to eat, right? <laughs> what time's the game on Tuesday? What am I going to eat for lunch? <laughs> Put that one in twice, right? Which checkout line should I get in? All right, which one's moving the fastest? And it's never the one you pick. What if we recognized God in everything? What if we recognize that even in the mundane things of life, that God wants to be a part of those things instead of just thinking of what do I want to eat, maybe thinking of who can I eat with instead of what time does the game start on Tuesday, which is 509, by the way. (laughs) I thought, who can I watch the game with? What line should I get in? Well, who does it look like I can have and start a conversation with? You see, what if our life was influenced by an awareness of God and all these mundane 90% of the mind thinking things? Imagine how it would shape us. Imagine how it would shape the things around us. Imagine the impact we could actually have even just in small things. When we make that initiative, right? Sometimes prayer can be come very self-centered and self-focused in a negative way. And sometimes prayer can be self-aware in a positive way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Be a part of what's happening in my life today. And then he goes on and talks about forgiveness and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Everyone got that? Everyone good? Just scoot right on past that one. Don't don't need to hear that anymore. Why is receiving forgiveness tied to forgiving? Why does he connect them? What I do not forgive stays with me, right? It it, it diminishes me. Forgiveness changes my situation with God and that changes me. If I don't forgive, it is as if my situation with God is not changed. If there's no room in my heart 
to forgive, then there's no room in my heart to receive. See, forgiveness is a river. It's not a reservoir. It's supposed to flow. And the minute we stop it, we are not allowing anything else to come in. And I wonder how many things have been stopped in our lives because of the lack of forgiveness. He goes on, he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, a temptation can come as a, a seduction to do wrong or just as a test, right? The test like a trial run or a measure of strength. You're, you're testing to see how strong this is. It could be either endurance or, or whatever else. And deliver us from evil. Evil in scripture is not always moral or spiritual. Sometimes it refers to any kind of trouble or hardship. And so there's this hardship, there's this, you know, problem. The Greek, it says the evil, and that's why some translated the evil one. And that would be the one who tempts us to do the evil and the one who causes the trouble. Now, this has always bothered me. And usually you don't say it because it's in the Bible, so you're supposed to just say, oh, it's good. But why do I have to pray for God not to lead me into temptation? Do sometimes he do it? What's with that? Father, right? I mean, it's like, what's going on? I don't understand why that would be the case. As I've been training Dogs for a number of years. That was a nice segue, right? I was doing one lesson and I had a pretty strong lab and I was holding and we were going to go for a walk. And as I was holding the leash, he saw a lizard or something and he took off running behind me. And I was holding the leash and all of a sudden my arm went this way. My thumb went that way. And I was like, whoa, doing this ballerina dance, but not so graceful. Right. And he pulled my thumb where I think I sprained my thumb. That's the best because I did another lesson that day. And it was like, oh, man, I could hardly hold the leash. Right. And then I'm doing sometimes training like up to seven dogs, five, seven dogs a week. And my hand is just getting sore. And after this week, man, I'm just like in pain. And so what I had to do was go to Amazon Smile And bought a thumb stabilizer. It's this thing that goes around your hand and it stabilizes your thumb so that it doesn't get bent the wrong way. And so for a long period of time, actually, I'm still using it. Whenever I'm going and doing training, I put my thumb stabilizer on because you never know if the dog is going to be strong and try and bolt and take off. You don't expect it. You don't want it. But sometimes it happens. You see, we are in a world where things happen. God, I don't want to be led into a place where bad things, hard things, difficult things happen. But you know what? Sometimes they do. And if I'm going to be training and I'm going to get a dog that's strong and stubborn and need 
some special attention, then I need a stabilizer. Don't lead me into temptation. But if I have to go someplace, deliver me. Be strong for me. Be there for me. We don't want trouble, but we do want deliverance when it comes. And it comes. And I believe Jesus is just telling us, you don't want to go there, but when you go there, you want deliverance. Because sometimes you go there because you're stupid. (laughs) You do. Sometimes you go there because you want the wrong things. I still want deliverance. He goes on and concludes, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Back to this, back to this forgiveness. I I think we need to take seriously the connection of prayer and forgiveness. There's, There's so many places. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus talks about moving mountains. And whatever you ask in my name, I'll give it to you. And immediately he says, if you go to the altar and you don't forgive someone, neither will your father forgive you. Again, in this context of prayer, there is this presentation of forgiveness that takes place. And I think we need to recognize that what happens is when we stop the flow of what God can do through us, we stop the flow of what God can do in us. And so I want to end on this note because I think it is a practical one. There may be people in your life that you cannot forgive. They've done you wrong. They've hurt you. And for whatever reason you have in your mind, I cannot forgive them. And then you hear something like this and it's something that, causes friction in you. If you can't forgive them, bring that impossibility to God. Come before God, your heavenly father, and say, you know the situation with this person, with this thing that's happened. I cannot forgive them. Bring that to God. Hold it in his presence. He doesn't demand the impossible, but what he does is change the impossible in us. And he can take what is stopping you and start to change you in the middle of this. He will work with us to overcome these impossibilities. And that's what we want. Jesus told his disciples, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. See, all these things that he's addressing are are not so that we can get God to move in our favor. It is so we can get into the river of God's will. Revered is the name of you. Come the kingdom of you. 
become the will of you. It, it, it is for me to get into the river of what God is doing so that I can be moved. And when this for unforgiveness happens, it stops me from getting into the river. I can't go there because it's too difficult to let go. So bring the impossibility because if you're in the dark, you're going to stumble. If you're aware of who God is, what his kingdom is and what his will is, you're going to find yourself a part of all that he's doing. I challenge us this week to put this in with our other activities, which are bless three people this week, right? Eat with three people this week, right? Hear the Spirit this week. Learn Christ this week. Share and write our faith this week. This week, every day, if you can, pray the Lord's Prayer. See, I come from a tradition that didn't repeat prayers because they thought, oh, no, that's not it. It's just a model of prayer. But I find that it's actually a model worth repeating. It's something that we can say, and it has an effect on us. And so this week, let's pray this throughout the week, every day, maybe multiple times a day, just as you are driving as you're sitting at work, whatever it is, pray this prayer and allow these things that we've talked about to maybe influence and have an effect on you. Let's stand together. And as we close, I want us to read this together. I put a traditional King James version because that's when I say it, I still go back to this version. I don't know about you guys. Would you pray this with me? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Lord, that is our prayer. We thank you for hearing our prayer. We thank you in Jesus' name. As I've been going through this prayer this week, I've had to walk away from it a few times because of the confrontation within my own heart and my lack of reverence, my lack of awareness God's goodness, lack of my involvement with his will. There's been a few times where I've just had to stop because it's just too much for me. And I don't know if the spirit of God is doing to you what he has been doing to me this week. But before I just dismiss us and give a benediction, I want to allow a time for a response. I've had to stop and say, God, I'm sorry. There's times where I just had to, to go away, walk into the backyard and just kind of 
have my own little weep session and just tell the Lord, God, how can I live my life so unaware of you all the time? How can 90% of my life just be ignorant to your presence and what you're doing? How can I call myself a follower of yours when this is going on all around me and I'm blind to it? And God is gracious and loving and compassionate. And he reminds me, these words are for you, to help you. And I've had to stop and I've had to pray and I've had to confess and I had to realign and recognize. And I want to give time for you to do that as well. So just in the few minutes that we have, If something is going on within you that you want to share, you don't have to, but you want to pray and you want us to be here and be a part of that prayer and allow this to be a moment before God and before us, I want to give that opportunity. Go ahead and pray as you feel prompted. Thank you, Lord, for our time together. May you continue to speak to us. May we continue to listen. May be revered his name in you. May come his kingdom in you. And may be done his will in you. God bless you guys. Have a great week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.